journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. And as all Jewish women are feeling, we're tripping into now the marathon of uh, Shavuot. We are looking forward to a three-day yontav where we are going to be uh, cooking up a lot of cheesecake and a lot of mulchiks. Really, really excited about that. So this is going to be our last lesson before the holiday of Shavuot. So we're going to miss um, Shavuot. We will be celebrating with our families, not with me. Um, so we're going to land up finishing up Genesis uh, chapter 41 right now. And uh, chapter 41 comes to almost like to an ultimate of the, the rags to riches story where Yosef, who was sitting in a dungeon, is brought out from the dungeon. And not only does he become viceroy, but he basically becomes in charge of the entire, entire Egypt. A lesson in and of itself that we should always, always learn that in fact we are uh, we, we 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 never should despair from God's redemption, and God's redemption can have, as we always say, can come kacherif ayin in a matter of a blink, in a matter of thinking that you're at the bottom of the barrel, you can't get any worse, you can't you you don't know how you're ever going to get out. Truthfully, what really really happens is that when God wills it you can go from zero to a hundred as Yosef did. So we're going to pick up on verse uh, 40, I mean, chapter 41. And we are going to, I'm just looking over here where we finished up before. Right. We're going to start on verse 45. What we, where we finished up last week was that um, uh, Paro said to Yosef, I am Pharaoh, without you no man will lift his hand or foot in the whole land of Egypt. And he gave him a lot of money, he gave him a lot of servants, uh, servants and he built a very, very, very big castle. Now we are going to go on to uh, verse 45, which is going to tell us that not only did he have all of this that Yosef was talking about, but in fact, he gets renamed. Kind of likened to when you reach some type of um, aristocracy um, in the English monarch and you get knighted. And now you're not called Mr. John Smith, you're Sir John Smith. Or you get a title, you're now the Duke of Cambridge. So the same thing is going to happen with Yosef. So verse 45, if you are following up in the Chumash, Vayikra Paro Shem Yosef Tzafnat Paneach. Paro gave Yosef the name Tzafnat Paneach. Vayiten lo et Osnat ben Poti Fera Kohen on Leisha. He also gives him a wife called Osnat, the daughter of Poti the priest of On. Vayetze Yosef El Eretz Mitzrayim. Yosef goes out to oversee the whole land of Egypt. So let's go look at the title of Tzafnat Paneach. What does Tzafnat, Paneach, really, really mean? Well, Tzafnat, well, let's say the word Tzafun comes from hidden. If you all recall, we just finished up a couple of weeks ago the holiday of Pesach. And one of the steps of the, the 15 steps of the Haggadah 
is tzafun. When when is tzafun played? Tzafun is played at a time um, is played out at a time where we have just finished benching, uh, just before uh, we we just before finished benching, and we're bringing out the afikomen. Why? Because the afikomen is hidden, right? It talks about the word hidden. So tzafun means hidden. Tzafun paneach. Paneach comes from Yafeh Nach, which means easily revealed. So what was his title? No, it wasn't the Duke of Cambridge, but it was the title, He Who Easily Reveals the Hidden. Right? So as we know, um, Yosef went and revealed a tremendous amount um, of knowledge and of guidance to the land of Egypt, and therefore he was now titled He who is easily reveals the hidden. Now, the next question we need to ask is who, in fact, is this um, this girl, Osnat, right? Why out of everybody is Osnat chosen um, to be a wife? And how did it all come about? Well, it's very, very interesting. And if you look really deeply into the Hebrew words. As always, I'm reading the original because in the original we find a tremendous amount. We see the following. That means Paro gives her, gives him Osnat. And who is she but Potifera, the daughter of a person called Potifera, Pera, I mean Kohen On, who was a who was a priest of On. Now, if you recall, Potiphar was Yosef's boss, okay, um, that he landed up working at when he came down to Egypt as a, as a slave. So who is Potiphar? Well, if you know anything about, about, uh, about Dikduk, Potiphar is the male, Potifera is the female. So here is something interesting um, in the, 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 the Midrash. It says that Mr. Potiphar had gay tendencies, and really when he went and he, uh, when he went and um, found Yosef, he was very, very attracted to Yosef. Remember that Yosef was a very, very good-looking guy. And Mr. Potiphar had gay tendencies, and it was his intention to purchase Yosef to, to, to form a relationship with Yosef. But what happened in the course of time and in the course of things, um, he became, it, it, it kind of like got around Egypt, that he had now um, become homosexual. His wife, remember Mrs. Potiphar, had caused this whole stunk about Joseph. The whole place landed up in a, in, 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 in a mess, and he ran away. Potiphar ran away, and he went to a city where he could learn to become a priest. He wanted to rehabilitate himself. He wanted to repent for um, his status, and that's why it says that she was the daughter, and I'm going to get to the daughter herself, but that's why she was the daughter of Bat Potiphera, meaning Potiphar, 
who had become gay, but per, but Cohen on that he had become a uh, a priest of On that comes and tells us that he he um, was trying to rehabilitate and reinvent himself. Nevertheless, who is in fact the the this this girl or snut? Well, it's really really interesting because. There's quite a lot that is told in the Midrash, and you're going to have to hold on to your seats until I give you that information. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Adel Kozilski, and welcome back. Right, so who is Osnat? So the Midrash fills in a tremendous amount of information. Osnat was, in fact, the daughter of Dina. Who was Dina? Dina was the daughter of Leah. You remember, Leah fell pregnant a seventh time, our foremother Leah, and she did not want to have a boy. And um, she prayed to God that she should be a girl so that her sister, Rachel, and the two maidservants would each be able to, far, to, to mother two of the tribes of Israel. She had a daughter, Dina. Let me remind you as well that Dina was the daughter that her father, Yaakov, hid in a casket when they were about to meet um, Asap, because we know that Leah was supposed to marry Asaph, Leah cried. She didn't want to marry the wicked Asaph. And so destiny was changed and Leah married Yaakov. But when Asaph came to meet Yaakov, if you recall, we are told that he wanted to do tshuva. And Yaakov knew that if he saw Dina, he would have taken Dina as a wife. So Yaakov saves Dina by putting her into a, a casket, by hiding her. Later on, after Aesop goes um, back to where he comes from, this Dina goes out and she gets captured by Shechem, the son of Hamar. And if you recall, he rapes her. And that makes Shimon and Levi, her two brothers, incensed. And they come into the city um, of Shechem, and they uh, with the Shechem, and they tell all the men that they will make peace with them if they circumcise them themselves, which they do. But in the meantime, they go out with righteous indignation, and they kill all the men of the city because they raped their daughter Dina. Now, why am I telling you all of this again, reminding you all of again? Because guess what? Osnat is the daughter of Dina. What happened was, from that unfortunate rape, she fell pregnant. And Yaakov was unbelievably embarrassed that a daughter of Israel was now pregnant with somebody who raped her. So as soon as Dina gave birth to the child, we are told that Yaakov kept her hidden under a bush. A bush in Hebrew 
is called a snare, and that's why she was called Osnat. Same, 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 uh, same shorish, same root. But on top of that, since it was his grandchild, it was Yaakov's grandchild, Yaakov hung a gold medallion around her neck and he inscribed on it the words, whoever marries this girl should know that his children will be the descendants of Yaakov. So whilst he um, tried to protect her and he wanted to keep her away from everybody else because she was um, the result of a terrible relationship with, with uh, Shechem, nevertheless, she was 100% Jewish. We go according to the mother. And so Yaakov wanted to let whoever know that if they're marrying, they're marrying into the house of Jacob. We're told further that then either the angel Gabriel or um, Michal brought Osnat to Egypt and brought her into the house of Potiphar at a very, very, very young age. And there she grew up and she was raised as a stepdaughter. So Osnat, the granddaughter of Yaakov, the daughter of Dina, also lands up in Egypt and lands up as a stepdaughter in the house of Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar. Now, let me remind you another little tidbit that we learned earlier. If you recall, one of the reasons why Mrs. Potiphar wanted to be intimate with uh, Yosef was because she saw in the muzzle that she that 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 she would have children grandchildren with Yosef and she thought it was her but she was mistaken it was with her stepdaughter Osnat now why did Osnat not know Yosef well she was brought at a very very young age and she didn't really collaborate or have anything to do with Yosef now Remember, she had this medallion um, around her neck saying whoever marries this girl is marrying into the house of Yaakov. Um, but it was written in Hebrew. So to the Egyptians, this handwriting was indecipherable. When Osnat was in the house of Potiphar, she inquired of all of, of the whole of Egypt, all the Egyptian savants, and they tried to understand the strange writing but they couldn't. Nobody could read it. And even though Yosef lived in the same house, um, she never asked him to attempt to read it because she, she figured, number one, if, if all the very clever, you know, spiritual wizards and savants of Egypt can't understand it, how could a mere slave understand it? But this is how they got together. When Yosef gets the title Tzafnat Panea, he who, um, is, who, he who easily reveals the hidden, and he goes on the uh, inauguration uh, march through the city, as we discussed last week, with all the horses and the chariots and the troops. What, was, what, what did I tell you? I mentioned that all the women in the town went on to their rooftops and they were throwing things at Yosef, all of them trying to attract his attention. 
Remember, he was a beautiful, handsome man. Now, Osnat went, um, went onto the rooftop. She had nothing else but her golden medallion, and she threw it at Yosef. Yosef made eye contact with her when she threw down that medallion. He picked it up, and of course, Yosef could read what was written on the medallion, and he suddenly realized that a member of his family was in Egypt and was none other by Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar. So Yosef takes the medallion. Now remember, what was the relationship then between Yosef and Osnat? They were uncle and niece. Because remember, Dina was from Leah, and Yosef was from Rachel. So they were half-brother and sisters, and Dina and Osnat was Dina's, Dina's daughter. So they were uncle and daughter and niece. And um, according to Torah, an uncle and a niece can get married. So Yosef went to Paroi and he said, I would like to take her as a wife. And that's why the verse says, et osnat bat potifera. Paro gave him osnat bat potifera because Paro was the shatran. But he was the shatran because Yosef came to him on the side and told him that he wants to marry. And the girl that he wants to marry is, in fact, this girl that lives in Potiphar's household. How's that for all these things coming together? Incredible. Now, let's just look at it from a divine providence perspective. All this, you could see, has been directed by divine providence because as I've always said, for every action, there is a reaction. And for every reaction, there is a further action. Remember, Yaakov hid Dina in a chest, as I mentioned, because Asaph, so Asaph should not see her. And what was the punishment for Yaakov? The punishment was that since he didn't allow Dina to marry Asaph, because Dina would have actually made Asaph repent completely, a worthy wife. A holy wife is of incredible um, importance. Because he didn't, Dina landed up, the punishment was that she was raped by Shechem. But nevertheless, there was some part of Yaakov, he had, he had good intentions, he had good motives, right? He didn't want that, 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 that Dina would, 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 might be lost, and certainly he did not um, want that that her child um, be allowed to assimilate, his grandchild to be assimilated and become a godless pagan. So now divine providence arranged that Yosef will marry her. So really, in truth, um, Yosef marries into the family. And also, this is in part a, a, a reward from divine providence for Yosef. Because if you recall again, when Yaakov encountered Esav, Yosef stood in front of his mother, Rachel, so that Esau would not see her. Now, this was not something that any of the other brothers did for their mothers. So as a result, Yosef was worthy of marrying Osnat, the daughter of Dina, the daughter whom Yaakov tried to hide away from, from, uh, from, from, from Yosef. Now, just one other small subtle 
idea over here is that if we understand Potifera was not the real father of Dina, but when you look at the verse, it says there that she is but Potifera. She is the daughter of uh, Potiphar. And this teaches us, is the Torah, that when one raises an orphan in his house and he treats him well, then he is considered to be like one's own child. Absolutely fascinating. And the lesson here to be learned is that don't think that this world is random and haphazard. This world is run with a very, very... Um, it's run with very minute details. God is looking at every single detail of every single leaf that moves, that every single person, they're in the right place at the right time always, even though it might, in your perception, you might be in the wrong place at the wrong time. There is no such thing. And that every single thing that we do in our life is written, taken account for, and there is a reaction to it, hopefully a good one, a reward, but the vice versa would also apply. So there you have it. Yosef gets married. Yosef ben Shimshana. We're looking at verse 46. Yosef is 30 years old. When he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, right? So from 18 to the age of 30, his life was one big hell. Okay, going from being thrown out by his brothers, going into slavery, being trying to be seduced by Mrs. Potiphar, landing up in the dungeon, and within 12 years, his, his life takes a complete turnaround time. He's now 30 years old where he stands, um, and he's almost a pharaoh. He leaves Paro's presence. He, he, he travels. He makes an inspection tour of the entire land of Egypt. And during the seven years of surplus, as was, was prophesied by Yosef, the land produced a huge amount. It said that every year um, produced a handful of corn, the farmers produced so much that their storehouses, their grain houses were brimming to the top. And not only was there such a lot that all the grain that grew during those years, those years of plenty, were clean. They were free of any blight. Um, and you could just go and simply take a handful, grind it. You didn't have to inspect it. You didn't have to remove bad grains. It was of superior quality. So those seven years, um, Egypt became unbelievably rich. Verse 48, Yosef gathered all the food of the seven years that were in Egypt. And the food growing in the fields of each city all around it were placed inside that city. So there, was, there wasn't a cumulative effort to bring everything to one central place. Rather, says the Midrash, um, Yosef built cities, basically grain silo storehouses in every outskirts of every city. And the abundance of that city was put into the respective 
greenhouse. Ve'yitzbar Yosef bar kachol hayam. Yosef accumulated so much grain, it was, it was so abundant, it was like the sand of the sea. Harbei mo'od, it was tremendous, it was huge. Ad ki chadal lispor ki ein mispar, and eventually, can you actually believe it, they stopped, they gave up counting because they ran out of numbers. They ran out of the numbers of the amount of, um, of, 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 of storage that they had. It was so unbelievably um, abundant. Now, remember, if we talk about the laws of economics, we know that there is a relationship between supply and demand. When there's a tremendous supply, demand will go down because everything there's too much of everything and therefore you will be able to get things at a very cheap price. When there is a scarcity of everything and supply is scarce, as we know today, then and demand is there and nobody can fulfill that demand, then we know that um, you're going to pay a much, much bigger price. So the law of supply and demand was working very well in Egypt because there was such an abundance you were, Yosef was able to buy off the grain to store to the farmers at a very, very, very cheap price because there was just too much of it and they wanted to get rid of whatever they could get rid of. And then you will see that it will uh, flip and what in fact will happen is that they will go into a state, state, state of starvation and there will be a tremendous demand um, and not a lot of supply and Yosef would be able to sell it for a very high price. And that is, in fact, how Yosef made Egypt unbelievably wealthy. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, welcome back. Now let's just see one more thing that happens in the time of plenty during the seven years of Plenty. We are looking now in chapter 41, verse 50. Two sons uh, were born to Yosef before the years of famine came. And they were born to him through, Potiphar, through Osnat, the daughter of Poti. Now, you can ask the question as to why does the Torah have to be so specific about the fact that the two sons were born in a time of plenty? Um, who cares when they were born? Just that they were born to Yosef and Osnat. And the answer is, is that there is a halakha that during a time of national tragedy, when there is a tremendous amount of destruction and pain around, one is not allowed to have personal pleasure. Therefore, that would forbid a couple to be intimate with one another when the world is completely in agony. Um, I guess in modern times, we could relate to this if you're sitting, God forbid, in the middle of Treblinka or you're in the middle of the Warsaw Ghetto and things are awfully, terribly wrong. With and there's a tremendous amount of suffering with everybody, one cannot um, get involved in personal pleasure. So here we are told that Yosef's two children were fathered during a time of abundance, 
and in a time of, of happiness and, and plenty as opposed to the fact of what's going to happen now when the years of famine come around. Now, really, you could ask what's the difference. What I do really is nobody else's business and I don't really need to care. Well, we're told the Midrash tells us that um, if one gives that argument and says, who knows the difference? Who's going to testify against me? I'm doing it in pub in, in private. Um, the Midrash goes and says, let him know that even the beams of his house will testify against him for two angels who accompany him will stand before God and testify against him. Um, and it, it says, since such a person did not find it within themselves to partake in the grief of the community, he will be punished by not partaking in, uh, in its consolation. And his sin will not be atoned until he dies. However, if a person is sensitive to his um, situation around him, the Midrash finishes up and says, on the other hand, when a person partakes in the sorrows of his community, he will also partake of his consolation. Right, verse 51. He names his eldest son Menashe. Why? Ki nashani elokim et kol amali et kol beit avi. It comes from the word nashani. Nashani means to forget. It says, God made me forget all my toil and everything in my father's house. Remember, he had gone through, he had gone through hell. That's just the simple part. And that had, and now when a person, right, you know, when, when, when the going is good, people have short-term memory loss. Um, it says now, so basically what Joseph was saying was, now that I've risen to this high position, I have forgotten all my troubles and everything that I suffered, but I also may fall into the trap of forgetting who I am and whom I belong to. And so he named his child Menashe so that he could remind himself every time he called the kid, hey Menashe, come here Menashe, Tati wants you Menashe. It reminded him not to forget what, um, who, who, you know, who, who, who he belonged to and what family he came from and really, really was his state. So that was his son Menashe. Verse 52, He called the second son Ephraim. Ephraim comes from the word fruitful, from pre, because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So there you have it, Menashe and Ephraim, and they become part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, remember the Levium, um, don't become a tribe, they're taken um, away. Yosef doesn't become a tribe. Menashe and Ephraim replace them. And very interestingly, another tidbit is that if you look at the months in which Menashe and Ephraim were born, Menashe was born in Iyar in the month of May. Ephraim was born in the month of Shvat, which is December. And if you look at the birth dates, of the 12 tribes, you will see that none of them were born during these months because these months were um, reserved for Menashe and Ephraim. All right, let's carry on. Verse 53, 
the seven years of surplus with Egypt came to a close. And the seven years of famine then began, just as Yosef said they would. There was an incredible famine in the entire civilized world. And the only place where you could go get bread was in Egypt. Okay, famine struck everywhere, every, and what was very interesting, and I need to, to say this now because it's going to be pertinent to the next verse we're going to read. There were people who were not really so inanimate, inanimate, no, let me start there, they weren't so excited about Yosef, and they decided they're not going to rely on the government storehouses, they're going to store their own grain, okay? But when the famine hit, the only grain that remained fresh was the grain that was under the auspices of Yosef. Any grain that anybody thought there'd be, and, and other preserves, okay? Anything that they had decided to preserve themselves in their own private storehouses, everything went fraught. And it was like a switch off, switch on, switch, or rather I should say switch on, switch off, switch. One day there was famine, the last of the seven, the last day of the seven years was there. The next day, everybody, everybody woke up, and then suddenly, in an absolute suddenness, um, the famine, the famine hit. Uh, people were sitting and eating. The next moment, there was no food to be had. People went to the markets from store to store, and even the most common bread couldn't be found. Now, what happened? But Tiraf called Eretz Mitzrayim. The whole of the land of Egypt began to feel the famine. They all started screaming to Paroi. Lalachim for bread. And Paro says to the whole of Egypt, go to Yosef, whatever he tells you to do, do. Now, here's the very interesting thing. Guys, there was this big fanfare. Yosef went through the whole, whole country. Everybody recognized him that he was viceroy. Everybody knew why he became viceroy. Yosef worked very hard to store through the whole seven years. What are you coming to shout and scream and cry to Paroi when there is a famine? And for him to go tell you, go do, go to Yosef and tell him, he will tell you what to do. Surely everybody understood the national plan here. There was excellent, excellent planning. So the Midrash has to fill in because it doesn't really make sense otherwise. So we're told that when the people went, those that went and tried to store themselves went and saw everything was fraught, they couldn't. They, 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 they were besides themselves now because now they, 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 they had to listen to Yosef. And truthfully, they went to Yosef, except Yosef went and said, you want bread? You need to please first circumcise yourself because if you don't, I will not feed the uncircumcised. Okay, Yosef was trying to circumcise so that they could have a, a better spiritual understanding of God and, and, and get rid of their pagan idols. Of course, they didn't want to. So what did they do? They ran to Paroi to complain. That's why they went to Paroi. And what does Paroi answer them? Paroi answers them, 
you have to do whatever Yosef is telling you to do. They were scared because they figured if they go and circumcise themselves, maybe Yosef is going to do to them like Shimon and Levi did to Shechem and his family. But Paro settled them and said, go listen to what Yosef, Yosef didn't go and plan and do this whole thing for seven years in order to kill you. Go and listen to what Paro said. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And we have um, two more verses to finish chapter 41. The harav haya al The famine spread across the entire face of the earth. Vayiftach Yosef et kol Yosef opened up every everything containing the grain. Vayishbol lemitzrayim. He gave he supplied rations to Mitzrayim. Vayichezak harav beeretz Mitzrayim. The famine was also also very severe in the land of Egypt. The chol haaretz ba'u Mitzrayim and the whole of the of the world came to buy. Um, from Egypt, Lishboret Yosef, they came to buy from Yosef, get supplies from Yosef, Ki Chazak Arav B'chol Haaretz, this was the, the, the fulfillment that uh, God had for the Jewish people, that they, when they come out of Egypt, they will come out extremely wealthy. Where did all this wealth come from? All this wealth came from the fact that now Joseph took the law of supply and demand and used it in his favor and in fact, he actually sustained the entire world. Well, that's the end of chapter 41. Please, God, after Shavuot, we will start chapter 42, because now we're going to get to the really exciting part when Yosef, when Yosef encounters his brothers. In the meantime, let me wish each and every single one of you a beautiful Shabbat coming forward and Chag Sameach. And may we all accept the learning of Torah and the guidance of Torah into our lives with a, with, with a full heart, together as one, one people, where we show love, um, unconditional love, as God showed to us, we show to our fellow human beings, um, and in return, God will reenact the, the, the giving of the Torah and fulfill the last part of the Torah, and that is the arrival of Mashiach. Chak Sameach to everybody, and I will be... Be back after Yantav.